What a beautiful promise to sing this morning that we are sons and daughters of the great king, uh, which entitles us to the privileges and the inheritance uh, that we are given uh, as being adopted by the holy and living God. Um, first of all, I want to thank you uh, for, uh, first of all, to, to uh, see the bulletin and see that my name on there and not leaving. Uh, so I do give, I have gratitude for you already. Um, but, uh, and if there was ever a week uh, that my schedule was clear and that there were no personal or professional issues that came up and, um, or anything like that, this was not that week. Uh, and so uh, we, are, uh, we are here by the grace of God, um, and I know that he has, he has picked out this sermon. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to share it with you, uh, glad to be here, glad to be a part uh, and, but uh, God knew. Uh, God knew the schedule. God knew what was coming up. God knew that Craig was going to have that eye surgery. God knew that he was going to have some problems with it. And God knew that I was to be in this pulpit this morning. And so uh, bow with me in prayer. Father God, we are here by your grace of God and by the grace of you. And uh, I thank you for that. It is only by that grace that I can come uh, and speak your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you be with uh, these words. Uh, may these words be your words uh, as we dive into your scripture this morning. May they glorify you. In your name I pray. Amen. I thought since I've been here a little over a year, uh, you've gotten to know me a little bit, uh, I think it's, it's come time for me to, uh, to confess something, to just come in, in confession to you. Um, at, at, at times when, I, when I'm at home and the, the girls have gone to bed and, and, and I'm on my computer, I'll, I'll look at the screen and I'll get drawn in and sucked in by these words, where are they now? Because, I mean, who doesn't want to find out what uh, Zach Morris and A.C. Slater are doing 20 years after Saved by the Bell? Or for that matter, who, where's the cast of Gilligan's Island? Now, I do know from uh, a reliable source from the first service that um, Ginger and Marianne are the only ones left of that. So I don't have to do a whole lot of uh, research for that. But uh, I, And one of the, the um, TV shows that I used to really like to watch is Behind the Music, uh, where you see the, the progression of different bands and different popular acts. Uh, and there was always... If you ever watched any of those, uh, there was always a drug overdose and there, there was always a death and, or a car wreck of some kind, so, uh, or a bus accident or a plane accident or something like that. Uh, and I say that in jest a little bit, but I think why I enjoy those things and I, why I enjoy watching Where Are They Now to see uh, what's going on is I, I'm a relationship guy. Uh, it's, it's why I'm in the position that I am here at, at, at Ivy Creek. How can we improve those relationships with each other by being in Bible study together. Uh, but I love to know the stories. Uh, I love to see uh, these stories of these people where some of them, they went on to bright start, they went on to big stardom. Uh, you see them on all kinds of things now and they start out little bit parts and little sitcoms and all that kind of stuff like that. Or why you had a hugely successful television show and then they decided to go out and 
farm corn in, in Oklahoma uh, and, and leave all the Hollywood life behind. I enjoy those stories. I enjoy getting to know those stories and, and, and just to see kind of what their journey is. And so, um, as you know, uh, we have been looking at the book of Mark. And early on in the book of Mark, we see that Jesus called, two of his first disciples that he calls are John and James, the sons of Zebedee. And so I thought tonight, today we would find out John's story. A little bit of where are they now with John the Apostle. Because there's so much into his story and in his, that we see in his book uh, that lets us know into, into John's story. Because as I got to thinking about this, and, and in Craig's absence, uh, I did not want to steal any of his thunder that he may have for uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, he's been studying, and he's, he's looked ahead, and, and there's no way I could begin to get on his wavelength as to where he's going to go in the book. But I did want to stay in the Gospels, because I want to stay in the story of Jesus and, and following that story. And so, John became a natural conclusion. I just love uh, the book of John. And so as we look at the beginning of his account in the story of Jesus, uh, we've already studied the beginning of that relationship. We've already looked at John and James were uh, fishermen, and they, a very successful fishing business. And Jesus walked by, he said, come, follow me. And it's not like John and James were just out there hanging out, you know, this is something they did as a side business or whatever. This was their job. And it was a very, they were very successful in what they did. Uh, they had multiple boats. They had multiple employees. And so this was something that they left behind. And so when we pick up on the book of John and we start reading the book of John, this is many years after that. And what's happened in John's life is he's seen the death of one of his best friends. Because John was not just one of the 12. He was one of the three that were inside the 12. They had that deep, close relationship with Jesus. So he's seen the death of his best friend, but he's also seen the resurrection and got to spend time with him after that and got to watch him go uh, ascend back into heaven. He's seen the forming of the church. And he's, watched the, he's been a part of the progression of the church and even to see false doctrines and things like that come into the church. He's seen some of his other closest friends die at this point because of what they believed. So I thought it'd be neat to jump in and look at the first part of the book of John. We're going to be in John 1, 1 through 5 this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and start getting to that, we're going to read it in just a minute. But I also want you to remind, the last time that we saw John, a couple of weeks ago when Craig preached, we saw John and they were walking through the grain fields, breaking the laws of the Sabbath. And so as we read, as, as we read in John 1, 1, it says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome Him. Now, if you've read any of the other Gospels, John begins his Gospel very differently than the other three. Uh, it begins in a, in a much different way. 
uh, because that's the perspective that John is bringing. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all had specific audiences. Matthew wanted to share the story of Jesus with his Jewish brothers and his Jewish friends. And so he made sure that he included a lot of uh, royalty references and, and kingship and all those kind of things. Luke, on the other hand, was a doctor, and, and, so, and, and he was writing more to the Greek audience. And so his audience was a little different, and his language was a little bit different, and they're all telling the story of Jesus in a little bit different way. But John was different. See, they wanted to get their stories down on paper. And the way I kind of think of it, and the way I've often explained it, is if uh, it's kind of like this in their, in their perspectives. If me, Will, and Craig were going to go to a One Direction concert and come back and tell you about it. <laughs> For those of y'all, One Direction's a boy band. They've now all split up, and they've done solo careers and all that kind of stuff. But it's this, it's this group, uh, and we would be... If we went to the concert, we would blow the, the, the average of person there by about 50 years. So, um, but if we went, we would all come back with different perspectives. Now, whereas I may talk about the choreography and, and how well they dance on stage, Will, he's going to talk about possibly how great their music, or how, how well the music was sung, and how well their vocals were, and how tight the band was. Now, Craig, he may wait a couple of weeks because he's got some very strong opinions starting out and he doesn't want to bring quite uh, what he truly thinks about it. And so he waits a couple of weeks and then tells what he saw. He may still think it's not very good music, but it's a little bit different perspective. And so that's really where we see the Gospels is we have the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are written really to get the facts out. They want to tell the story of Jesus, but they want to use, they want to tell the story of Jesus by telling about his miracles, his sermons, his teachings, and his parables. And so they're getting all that information out there, but John was different. John spoke explicitly about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. John wrote to a much broader audience, which is also going to change the way that he writes and what he puts down on paper. See, his audience was, was everyone at that point. Because he's writing to, and what some believe, a lot of people believe, is that he's writing to second generation Christians. And so they've seen a lot of what's going on in the church. Like I said, they've seen false doctrines come into the church. And so John is trying to tell the story of Jesus from that perspective. He's able to look back on the story. He's able to look back on, these, on this journey with Jesus and go and add in little conversations that he had with people or perspective that he thought at the time or he talked with people later on that can add perspective to what was going on at the time. Now, the Gospel of John has been regarded uh, by a lot of biblical scholars as the most theological of the four Gospels. In fact, John Calvin put it this way, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, exhibit Christ's body. But John shows his soul. John wants to tell you about the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So from the beginning of John's in the beginning, 
John wants to tell the story of Jesus and how he left his place in heaven to come, become, to come down and be one of us and minister to his people so that all may be saved. And I think we see this as we, as we uh, and you don't have to turn there, but uh, at the end of John's book, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we see John's purpose for writing the book. He's able to look back on, on his even writing of the book, which is also looking back on his life. And he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we see the purpose of John is he wants you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so he writes this book to convey that message so that you can have life in Jesus' name. John wants to tell us the who and the why of Jesus. He wants to move us from unbelief into belief. And he absolutely wastes no time in doing so. As we just read a minute ago, in the first few verses, he establishes who Jesus is. And as we discover who Jesus is, then we see the need to believe in him. We begin to see the need to, of why we need to believe in Jesus. It's in these first few verses of John's gospel. He gives, really gives us three reasons why Jesus is who he says he is. Because he's trying to convey the story of Jesus as the Christ, as salvation. And he wants us all to be saved. And so I think the reason that we need to believe in Jesus, as we see in the first verse of this, of this book, which is so packed with stuff, uh, it was we believe in Jesus because he is God. Undoubtedly, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so in those first few words, in the first we see uh, the word, word, uh, one, two, three times in that first verse. So if something's in there three times, we, we need to take a, a little bit more direct look at it. So what is the Word? Well, in the Greek, this word that is there is called the Logos, or the Logos. And Logos in the Greek term is, is, was the soul of the universe. It was where everything came from to create to cr the creative, stabilizing force of the universe. To use a pop culture term, Star Wars. May the force be with you. This was kind of the logos, logos, uh, that we see right there, and, and the Greek side of it. But like I said, Paul is writing to different audiences, and so in that same word, to, the, to his Jewish and Hebrew write, readers, it was the word of God. God's active power that was linked to creation, it was linked to revelation, it was linked to deliverance, it was linked to covenant, it was linked to guidance, and it was linked to judgment. The Word was how God revealed Himself. 
So already, just in this first verse, we're already seeing God, John speak to his broad audience. Because in this one word, the word, John caught the attention of all the major groups in the world at the time. He was able to speak to the Greek and to the Hebrew readers. And the word was not only how God revealed himself, but he was also the stabilizing force in the universe. He was able to add the balance that needed to be there between the darkness and the light. And so if we continue to look at the word, we know that the word is Jesus. We know that the word is Jesus the Christ. And so what do we learn about Jesus just within this one verse? We learn that he is eternally God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And so if Jesus was there in the beginning, that means he was there before the beginning. So Jesus has always been there. He and God have always been there. They are one. And so he is eternally God. He is also equally God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So not only has Jesus been there from the beginning, before the beginning, He's been there eternally, eternally. He's also been there as an equal. And we see from the account of creation that Jesus wasn't just there as a God, Jesus was there as God. He wasn't there just as an innocent bystander, he was there creating and creating all things with his Father as they are one. He is equally God. He was not just somebody just standing around saying, oh yeah, that's good, oh, I love what you did with the trees, oh, that's kind of a weird looking animal, but hey, let's have a mammal that also lays eggs and put them in Australia. So. He wasn't just there adding insight. He was creating along with. And so he is equally God. And the last thing that we know about Jesus and what we can learn from this is he is essentially God. He is everything that makes God, God. The all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-present, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that God was, Jesus was, is also. And was there from the beginning, before the beginning of time. And so we need to believe in Jesus because He is God. He's eternally God, he's equally God, and he is essentially God because what everything that makes God God, Jesus is that also because they are one. But we can also learn from this that Jesus, we need to believe in Jesus because he is the creator. He creates all things. He's not only present, he's not only just hanging out here. He was an agent of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made 
that was made. Jesus created all things. He is the creator. If we look over in Colossians, Colossians verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We believe in Jesus because he is the creator. He has been here since before time began, and all things were created through him and for him for his glory. It's all about him. And we believe in him because he created all things. And we are part of that creation. And even though he is all present and all powerful and, and all knowing, and he created all things, so he knows exactly what we're made up of, he still chooses to love us. How amazing is that? That he still chooses to provide and to love his creation knowing that we will betray him we will walk away at some point we will do things that hurt him but yet he still loves us so we continue to believe in him because he is the creator and then lastly we believe in Jesus because he is the originator of life and light Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The story of Jesus is here. And, and John wants to tell the story of Jesus in this way because he wants to bring people from the dark into the light. What is darkness? What is the darkness is the absence of light. If you've ever done any of the tours of any kind of caverns, Carlsbad Caverns or, uh, or any other kind of cavern, they always take you down into the very bottom of the cavern, into the cave. And usually one of the first things they do is shut off all the lights where you can't see your hand in front of your face because there's no light down there. Now, what would happen inside that very, 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 very dark place if you have one little bitty light? You can all of a sudden see. Because now, within that darkness, is some light. And if you have light, you cannot have darkness. You can have shadows, but you can't have total darkness if you have any kind of light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John wants to introduce us to this man of Jesus that has come to take darkness out. Both literally and figuratively in our lives. Because if you have the light of Jesus, you cannot have the darkness. Because those two things cannot coexist. They cannot be together. You can't have darkness and have light. You can't have light and have darkness. So here, 
John is introducing this man of Jesus to say he's overcome all that. And so we believe in Jesus because he is God. And he's God because he is eternal, he is equal to God, and he is essentially God. But we also believe in Jesus because he is the creator. He has created all things. He has created all things through him. He created all things for him and for his glory. But we also believe in Jesus because he is the originator of light and life, and that works into our lives. And so I love, I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. I like to... And so when I come across one, I think it's just, uh, it can always put the, a great point on the end of where I'm trying to go. And so as I was preparing this week, I came across this one. And it's a very famous story by the Christian theologian uh, and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And this story may not be a tale as old as time, but it's pretty darn close. But it tells the story of a prince who wanted to find a maiden to be suitable for his queen. And one day, while out running an errand, he went through, he was going through town in his carriage and uh, was going through the little poorer section of town. And uh, as his carriage stopped for something, he looked out the window and gazed upon the beauty of a maiden that was in the village. It's like, this lady is gorgeous. I want her to be my bride. I don't think I could find anyone finer in all the land as that fair maiden. So as he went by, he made, he made trips as he went out running errands, even though they didn't have anywhere to go by uh, this maiden's house. He wanted to go by just so he could look at her. But he had a problem. He didn't quite know how he was going to ask her to marry him. He didn't quite know how he was going to seek her hand. Now, he could order her to marry him, absolutely. He could march down there, he could get his soldiers to take her, bring her back to the castle, say, you will marry me, and you will love me. Because of the laws of the land, she would have had to do exactly that. She had to marry him, she didn't necessarily have to love him. But even a prince wants his bride to marry him freely and voluntarily and not through any kind of coercion. All right, plan B. He could put on his most splendid uniform, dress to the nines, get his best horses, hook them up to his finest carriage, go right to her front door, knock on her door. Because certainly she would fall in love with him or want to marry him because of all that he had. But the prince came up with a better solution. He said, I know. So what he did, he gave up his kingly robe. He moved into the village, entering not with a crown, but with the garb of a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests, shared their concerns, and talked their language. And in time, the maiden grew to love him. She fell in love with the man. because of who he was and because he loved her first. Isn't this where we find ourselves in the book of John this morning? God came to live among us. 
He came to reveal himself in a very understandable way. This is what Jesus did for us. He became like flesh, like you and like me. Yes, absolutely. He is God, and we've already talked about that. He could have come down and he said, you will follow me and you will love me. But would that have been true love? Or he could go about the earth and go, absolutely, you win the lottery. Yes, you want that new car? You can have that. Oh, Gordon, you want that new motorcycle, don't you? Why don't you? You got it. That's yours. Tim wants a new set of golf clubs. He's got it. But then would we truly love Jesus just because of what he could give us? Because we are in awe of the splendor? No. Like this prince, or this prince like Jesus. So we'll do something different. He came to live among his people. To share in the stories and the testimonies. And to walk among his people for 33 years. So that the people could know him so that people can know that he could relate to them. And he spoke their language, and he did their customs, and he came and died a bloody death on the cross because of his creation that he loves so much. John, in his book, and in these very first five verses, wants to convey to us how important we are to the story, how important it is for us to know that that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So where are you? John wants to move us from darkness into light. From death into life from blindness into sight. Where are you? Are you still in the darkness and not quite sure what you want to believe about this Jesus? Are you still sitting there going, how could he relate to me? He's God. He has to make me love him, right? Absolutely not. He wants us. He wants it to be a choice. That's why he came to live among his people. But because he is God, because he is creator, because he is the originator of light and life, he can save us. And that's what John tells us in his book over and over. And so where are you? You may be in the darkness, and now today is the day to come into the light to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would love to talk to you about that. But maybe you've stepped into the light. But you're not connected to a church. And you're not connected to a way to, to be able to grow in that relationship with Jesus, with fellow believers. Today is that day as well. But John wanted to tell a story. And Jesus wants to be a part of your story. So let's bow.